family sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted. But the sorrow of the world produces death. For observe this very thing, that you sorrowed in a godly manner. What diligence it produced in you, what clearing of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, what vindication. In all things you proved yourselves to be clear in this matter. Therefore, although I wrote to you, I did, it, I did not do it for the sake of him who had done the wrong, nor for the sake of him who suffered wrong, but that our care for you in the sight of God might appear to you. Therefore, we have been comforted in your comfort, and we rejoiced exceedingly more for the joy of Titus, because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. For if in anything I have boasted to him about you, I am not ashamed. But as we spoke all things to you in truth, even so our boasting to Titus was found true. And his affections are greater for you as he remembers the obedience of you all, how with fear and trembling you received him. Therefore I rejoice that I have confidence in you in everything. Okay, there we go. All right. Verse 1 refers back to the last verses of chapter 6. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. Whoops, no, 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 no. Wait a minute. <laughs> okay, there we go. All right. Um, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So these promises refer back to the promises at the end of chapter 6, in uh, verses 17 and 18, where God says, I will receive you, I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters. That's, that's an exceeding great and precious promise, that God will be a father to us. And uh, therefore, he says, we should uh, cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh, all defilement or stain or pollution, anything that would morally condemn us, anything that would uh, make us... Uh, common, ordinary, when we're supposed to be set aside specially to God. That's what holiness means. One of the definitions of holiness is set apart, set aside, not to be common, not for ordinary use, but set aside to God. The rest of the world is living for pleasure, living for itself, living for the devil, and is involved in all kinds of defilement and stains and moral stains and pollution and we see it all around us, and we're not supposed to be like that. We're supposed to be set aside for God. Perfecting, epitalontes, this is the Greek word, it means accomplishing, fulfilling, or bringing to completion. So we are to be uh, perfecting. That's a continuous case there. Uh, uh, in the process of accomplishing, fulfilling, or bringing to completion, the holiness that God has already started in us. When we came to Christ, we were counted holy and called to be holy. And so we are to accomplish, fulfill, and bring that to completion. And that is an ongoing thing. It continues, it goes on, perfecting holiness. In the fear of God, Proverbs mentions the fear of the Lord a couple of times with respect to uh, how we live and what we do. The fear of the uh, fear of the Lord, Proverbs three seven says, and depart from evil. And uh, in Proverbs eight thirteen, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. 
And if we fear the Lord, if we're fearing the Lord the way we should, we're not, evil is not going to appeal to us. Sinful foolishness loses all its appeal when uh, a good and loving father is present. Whether that be a Christian earthly father, if you had a good Christian earthly father, and, and sinful foolishness just loses its appeal when he was present. And even so with our heavenly father, all the more. It, when we are aware and we're conscious that we're in his presence, and we have that fear of him, not a fear uh, that we don't want him around, not uh, that we are, in a sense, terrified, oh, oh, I don't want him to be around, or oh, no, I don't like him. No, no, not at all. But uh, we fear to offend him. We fear to disappoint him. We don't want, you know, again, think of a relationship with a good earthly father because, you know, God gave us that relationship to picture our relationship with him, and he likens himself to a good father. It's just that every earthly father is always an imperfect version, and well, we know it. But uh, he's the, the perfect father, like the best earthly father perfected, as no earthly father can be. But you know, in a good relationship with an earthly father, you don't want to disappoint your father. You know, dad is watching, and you don't want him to be disappointed. And, um, and then also, you know, as a child, well, dad is watching, and it wouldn't be good. It just would not be good to do the wrong thing now, because uh, there really isn't any chance the dad won't notice it because he's right here and he's watching. And we know what that would mean <laughs> if there was an act of defiance. And I, I think that sunk through to my head at about age three, that, uh, that actually when dad is here, uh, it would be good to do the right thing. And that's just a, a little, small, imperfect picture of our fear of the Lord. The Lord is watching and we don't want to disappoint him. And we don't want to expose ourselves to his chastening. Well, all of this goes together then. God's promise is that he will welcome us. He'll be a father to us and, uh, as we turn from worldliness and devote ourselves to him should naturally prompt us to cleanse ourselves from everything that defiles and to strive on toward the completion of holiness in our lives. That should motivate us. That should be a motivating thing. God says, come out from among them and be, se- be separate and touch not the unclean thing. I was lapsed into the King James there. And I will receive you and will be a father unto you and you should be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. And having such a great and precious promise, um, and maybe I, I don't know if we think of that verse, you know, in those two verses, in the last two verses of 2 Corinthians chapter 6 is, you know, one of the great promises. You know, there's a, I will never leave you or forsake you. Now, that's, we think that's a wonderful promise, and it is. But to say, I will receive you and will be a father to you, that is great and precious too. And that should motivate us to cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and of the spirit. Oops, wrong one. We'll get it here. There we go. All right, verses 2 and 3. Open your hearts to us. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have cheated no one. I do not say this to condemn, for I have said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. So he says, uh, open your hearts to us. That is, make room for us in your hearts. Um, the, in your hearts is, uh, is implied by the context. And so it, it's the way it appears in italics in the, uh, in the Bible, in the biblical text, uh, that the um, translators supplied that because it was implied necessarily by what was being said, 
but uh, it, the words aren't there. But anyway, open or make room for us. So um, receive us. And, and Paul emphasizes that he has not wronged them. We haven't wronged anyone. We haven't corrupted anyone. We haven't cheated anyone. Various commentators seem to disagree about what exactly does it mean in what way to wrong, harm, or cheat, you know, corrupt or cheat anyone. But Paul hadn't done it in any way, and he could say that to them without fear of successful contradiction. He knew that they couldn't, no one could bring forward any evidence that he had wronged anyone there in any way at all. He says, I don't say this to condemn you. He wants them to know he's not now reproaching them. He only writes this out of his love toward them. Whoops, I keep doing that. All right. Great is my boldness of speech toward you. Great is my boasting on your behalf. I'm filled with comfort. I'm exceedingly joyful in all our tribulation. Notice my boldness, my boasting. I am filled. I am exceedingly joyful. So Paul is switching from the second, uh, the first person plural to the first person singular. I'm not quite sure why, but he does this here. Maybe just more of personal testimony. Look, this is what I do. I don't want uh, Silas and Timothy and uh, Titus uh, or all my, how they feel about this, although later we find out how Titus feels about some of it. But, you know, aside from all that, I'll tell you that I, Paul, feel this way. And then he tells them that he has spoken uh, plainly to them about their problems. And yes, he certainly has. He's, he's pinned their ears back a few times in 1 Corinthians and a little bit in this 2 Corinthians too. They had some improvement they needed to make. And he says that uh, although he spoke plainly to them, he speaks plainly, too, to others about, about uh, how the confidence he has in them. You can imagine Paul saying to Titus, now I want you to go down to Corinth. You know, they're having some troubles there. Some false teachers have gotten in among them, and they've misled them to a degree, and they're spreading some wrong ideas. And they've got some of those people half convinced that I've wronged them. Now, if they would think for five minutes or for 30 seconds at a time, they would know that I haven't wronged anybody there. This is how I imagine Paul's. This is my imagination of what Paul would be saying to Titus when he tells him to go down to Corinth. They would know I haven't done anything to them. And you know they're good folk. They, they really mean well. and They're really trying to serve the Lord. They love the Lord. When they understand what's going on, they'll, they'll come right. They'll come around to the right view. And he said, I boast of you. I say, tell him that you're really good and, and that God's doing a great work in you. And uh, he wants them to know that. He says, I'm exceedingly joyful. Actually, uh, they say that's stronger in the Greek than in the English. I'm overflowing with joy. Uh, hardly more joy than I can con- contain. Because I'm so happy about uh, how you're doing in your Christian walk and the progress that you're making. Verse 5, for indeed when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts, inside were fears. Well, there's a little window. I mean, you sort of get this in the midst of this passage that talks really about other things, the Corinthians and how they had gotten straightened out and they were doing the right thing now and so on and, uh, and how happy Paul was about that and how happy Titus was about that. And you kind of get this little window. And by the way, you know, when we, were, we got into Macedonia this last time, things were pretty bad. Our bodies had no rest, uh, but we were troubled on every side. He's mentioned that earlier in the book, the you know, how they were, uh, you know, God sustained them in the midst of their troubles and all that. Uh, and as was often the case in Paul's missionary journeys, I mean, this was kind of what was going on all the time. Every town he'd come to, he'd come in there, and there were adversaries. He talked about how there was a great door open to them in 
in one place, but, but there were many adversaries. And so these are the fightings without, you know, the people that oppose themselves. And they run around teaching wrong things and, and teaching false things about Paul and lying about Paul and, and leading people to dislike Paul, and that's not pleasant. And, um, of course, this led to much uneasiness of spirit. Now, that's something to think about there. You know, the Apostle Paul, I think, was probably farther along in the grace of God than most of us here are. I know he certainly was farther along than I am. And, and, and uh, you think of somebody who's very spiritual and very far along in the knowledge of God and very far along in the grace of God. And here he's being used by God to give uh, the Scripture. God is, is giving the Scripture through Paul such that every word that he writes here is exactly the word that God wanted him to write. Although God was using Paul's vocabulary and writing style and Paul's basic thought pattern and approach and what Paul knew, yet God was, in, was breathing this scripture. All this, and yet Paul can say there was much, there were uh, fears, inside were fears, fears within. And you would think, well, surely... If somebody was that spiritual, he wouldn't be afraid. And uh, it seems like much is being said about fear. Most of it's silly nowadays in our society. Um, A lot of silly things being said about fear. And I remember um, a a fellow professor of mine at Tekoa Falls College who flew, I think it was 102 combat missions over Vietnam off the aircraft carrier Independence and was shot down and uh, was, was snatched out over North Vietnam and parachuted out and was snatched out of there by uh, a Navy helicopter while the uh, communists, well, the communists had been closing in on him, but then a couple of his, his buddies and, and other Navy planes flew over and, uh, and uh, sprayed the, the communists with 20-millimeter uh, fire, and he said nothing was heard from the communists after that. But... Uh, you know, he had quite a time there. He said that uh, regarding he and his fellow uh, veterans who flew combat missions over Vietnam, he said, anybody who was there and tells you he wasn't afraid is lying. They were all, you all feel afraid. And, of course, and uh, I, just, I don't know if this will be the first time, this might be a first that anybody's ever quoted John Wayne in a Bible study. But uh, was it John Wayne says in a movie? I can't remember which one. I just I hear it quoted. I don't think I saw it in the movie. But it's like courage is being afraid and still saddling up anyway, something like that. That's of course, people who don't feel any fear are. Um, let's see. Uh, we'll we'll stick to a Bible term. I a number of terms suggested themselves to me, but they seemed inappropriate. Not it's just unkind. But we'll say simple. The simple. Right? A simple person is a person who never feels any fear of anything. Because, um, you know, the Bible says, the wise man foresees the evil and hides himself, but the fools are simple, pass on, and are punished. And I think of that today in the way that the, the word uh, fear is being invoked. And if you take uh, any least precaution against any danger, um, oh, well, people are afraid, ha, ha, ha. And if you're not afraid, <laughs> that's just that's simplicity. But uh, Paul was afraid. You know, I think there's that sense in which the kind of the animal side of us, uh, what is it? One, one of the Civil War soldiers was reading, uh, he says, um, we human beings, we just want to keep a whole skin. 
You know, we just want to keep our skin the way God made it without any extra holes in it, like but from enemy bullets and stuff like that. And uh, we just don't want to do that. And however sure uh, we might be of, uh, you know, a future in heaven, and Paul, I'm sure, had total assurance, you know, of, of future in heaven, and yet had fears within, too. That uneasiness of spirit that we have sometime. And, you know, sometimes... Uh, you know, if the, if the enemy of our souls would be, uh, if he would be good enough to leave us alone at such times, things would go much better. But of course, the enemy of our souls doesn't leave us alone at such times. And so you think about, oh, the times I goofed up and the times I made a mistake and the times I said the wrong thing and, oh, I just couldn't seem to get it right. And, and all that, you know, the enemy of our souls is, is right on hand there to serve up all that stuff and all those memories of all the times you goofed up and fouled up. And why should God sustain you in this situation now, seeing how many times you fouled up? And he does that. And I'm sure that he was on hand to throw that at the Apostle Paul. In fact, I imagine, I would guess that Satan had the Apostle Paul singled out for special attention uh, as, you know, Uh, a champion for the Lord but the Lord brought him through this praise the Lord for that and he brings us through and he will bring us through when we have fightings without and we have fears within and I like this next one now the old King James translated this nevertheless God and the new King James sticks with it and translates it nevertheless God and just about every other translation translates it but God the New American Standard, and the, I think the English Standard Version, I forget the names of all the translations, I can't keep them straight, but it's all but God. And, and to me that, I know that's more pithy and it speaks more, but God. You know, we had trouble, we had enemies, we had uh, fears, and it was bad, and we got no rest, but God. And all the things that would be some ways in this world if it weren't for God. I remember another fellow professor of mine at Tacoa Falls College, another one, who, um, who said, and this is one of those comments that sort of brings you up for air, kind of like I quoted old Brother McDonald who said, if you don't have more love, more peace, more joy, more faith, more grace than you've ever had before, you're backslidden. Brother McDonald, I don't know. <laughs> but... Uh, I, so this is one that uh, a fellow professor, my another, he said, uh, he said, most evangelical Christians, and this is one, is like, well, I don't know if this is true, I sure hope not, but he said, most evangelical Christians live their lives as functioning atheists. What? What was that, Doug? Is that the most evangelical Christians live their lives as functioning atheists? Ah. Uh, because they act as if, you know, God wasn't a reality and God's intervention in our life wasn't a reality. And it's like, we have to do everything for ourselves. We have to do it ourselves, all. And, you know, if it had not been the Lord that was on our side, now may Israel say, if it had not been the Lord that was on our side when men rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up. And we can say that in all kinds of things, when troubles and we have foes and, you know, It's just possible in American society today, we Bible-believing Christians may have adversaries. You suppose in American society today, I'm guessing we do, have enemies. 
on this earth. And we've got, of course, the enemy of our souls. And we have all, all kinds of difficulties. And there may be Christians today who are feeling, uh, you know, no rest in their spirit and foes without and, uh, and fears within. But God is on our side. I'm reminded of an event that took place it was before the Civil War. It was in the days of slavery. And it was, there was a convention taking place of black abolitionists. Now, you know what an abolitionist is. That was somebody who was strongly against slavery. Not just against slavery. Because there were other people who were against slavery, but they weren't abolitionists. The abolitionists were the extremists. And they were really hardcore against slavery. Slavery needs to be abolished right now because it is a sin. And it is not to be tolerated at all. That's what abolitionists believe. Well, there was a meeting of black abolitionists. There was a free blacks living in the North. Uh, some of them had been born free. There, was people in, there were some people in the North who were black, and they'd been born free. And others had escaped from slavery. Uh, one of the ones there was probably America's leading black abolitionist at that time, a guy named Frederick Douglass. I mean, he had escaped from slavery in the South, and he had scars all over his back from being whipped. And he was very bitter, and he, and he tended to get very cynical. And he got up there, and he made his speech to this convention. And it was very, very uh, bitter. A lot of bitterness came through, and there's no one's going to help us, and we're just going to have to fight on, and then nobody, you know. And um, then another uh, slave got up there. Oh, I forget. Now I'm going to forget who it is. Was it Harriet Tubman? I'm not sure it was her. Um, anyway, it was a female, black, it was a black woman, and she was, she was a very strong Christian, though. And it, maybe it was Harriet Tubman. And it's, it's terrible. The history professor just forgot that. Anyway, she got up there and she, uh, she, she gets up to the podium right after Frederick Douglass sits down. And she says, is God dead, Frederick? Is God dead? You know, God's not dead, obviously. And we're not all alone in this. And we don't have to fight our own way through this. Uh, God is in control. God is sovereign. God will take care of us. God will be with us, and God comforts us when we're downcast, because he does that. And uh, that's good to know. Well, sorry for that. It was a little in-between sermon, and maybe that was just a word of personal testimony or something. He says, he comforted us by the coming of Titus. How's that? Verse 7, not only by his coming, but also by the consolation with which he was comforted in you. When he told us of your earnest desire, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. So it was the news of the Corinthian believers' faithfulness that comforted Paul in the midst of his troubles in Macedonia. Mourning, by the way, here, uh, the Greek word is, uh, is specific as far as lamentation, verbal expression of grief. We, um, we persons of, of, who are either of Anglo-Saxon descent or have inherited an Anglo-Saxon culture. We tend to, we're a little different, and, and I'm not saying I don't like our culture. I do, but, you know, when we, you know, have a cause of mourning, we, we're supposed to keep a stiff upper lip and keep it together, and we might uh, do a little quiet crying, or we might just uh, brace up and, you know, look sad and quiet. Well, you know, in other parts of the world, they don't do that. And at funerals, the most outlandish goings-on by to our culture. But that's their culture. That's how they show they're sad. Weeping and wailing, well, that's how they express grief here. And that's what's, you know, you're mourning. So you're, you're just crying, moaning, weeping and wailing. All these things. And, and, you know, the fact that they were so sorry that they had 
Uh, they had gotten wrong. They had offended Paul. They had offended God. They had gotten off the track. They had let themselves be turned around by They had listened to people lying to them. Was it our fault if we listened to liars? Well, there's an old saying, saying, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. And there's a sense where we need to be careful that we don't listen to people that aren't saying what's true. And that's, that also goes for America today, too. We need to be careful that we're not listening to people that are saying what's not true. For the Corinthians had let themselves be all buffaloed and led the wrong way and believed the wrong things and by these false teachers. And now they're really sorry, and they're coming right around because Paul was right about them. They, re- they did really love the Lord, and they did really love Paul sort of when they got out of their confusion. So that was an encouragement to Paul. Now, that's important for us to take notice of here. When we're faithful, when we're true, when we do the right thing, when we love the Lord, when we're zealous for good works and we're zealous about uh, pleasing the Lord and when we follow after truth, that's a big encouragement to other people, especially those who, who might have the responsibility of trying to lead us or teach us if, uh, to our parents. Uh, I don't think our parents in heaven can presently see us. Uh, I don't know. I, I have not been there myself uh, to heaven yet. Um, uh, I, I'd say I'd let you know when I get there, but then you'll be there too, and so we'll all know about that then. My dad, when, and during his uh, time on earth, he didn't, he didn't believe that uh, folks in heaven could, could see what we were seeing here and what we're doing now. But certainly if you have Christian parents that are still living on this earth and they know what you're doing, what's going on with you, uh, and you're serving the Lord and you're trying to follow the Lord, and that's going to be a big encouragement to them. More on that in a minute here. For even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. For I perceive that the same epistle made you sorry, though only for a while. Regret here is a, the Greek word metamelomai. Thought it'd be nice to bring a little Greek into uh, our lesson this morning. It's always nice to know a little Greek. When I lived in the Chicago suburbs, I knew several little Italians, but no, any little Greeks. Too bad. Anyway, um, yeah, yes, okay. Um, my wife, my wife gets my humor. Even the rest of us like, oh no, no, that's so corny, um, and like. And my, my daughters see the look on their faces, see if, yeah. So you can't see it on Betsy's face because she's wearing a mask, but you can see it on Mary's face, like, dad joke. Oh, man. But anyway, okay, verse 9. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. You were made sorry. That's elupethete. Yeah. Right? Alupethete, which uh, is from the Greek word lupe, which means sorrow. Uh, I don't know if the Spanish-speaking people, when they have the name lupe, I think that's, that's short for something else. I don't think that's from the Greek uh, for sorrow. But anyway, lupe in, sor- in Greek means sorrow, so you were made sorrowful. And repentance is a different word with a different root. It's metanoion. So just being sorrowful is not repentance. And it's not the same word in English, and it's not the same word in Greek, and it doesn't have the same root. It's not the same thing. So just, I feel sorrowful, that doesn't mean someone repents. Repentance, metanoion, metanoion, 
is a change of mind, uh, thinking differently than one did before. So when we came to Christ, we repented, we thought something different than we did before. Before that, we thought my way is the best way. And then we came to Christ, and we, in, in, in that act, as we came to him, we found we learned different. And we came to believe different. We said, no, God's way is the best way. My way was the wrong way. I've been going my way. But no, God's way is the best way. That was repentance. And, and really believing that in such a way as to act on it. Verse 10, for godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation. Not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. So godly sorrow, katatheon lupe, literally according to God's sorrow, uh, produces metanoion, repentance, produces repentance. Not to be regretted, ametameleton, ametameleton. Yay. We're just lots of little Greek today. Ametameleton, about which no change of mind can take place. Not to be regretted. Not to be uh, sorry for. Not to wish I didn't. And uh, so godly sorrow produces repentance, a change of heart, a change of mind that is also a change of heart, thinking different thoughts, leading to salvation, not to be regretted, to be sorry for, to change one's mind about, but the sorrow of the world leads to death. Okay. For observe this very thing, that you sorrowed in a godly manner, what diligence produced in you, what clearing of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, what vindication, in all things you prove yourselves to be clear in this matter. In other words, when Paul took them to task for the ways in which they were, they were doing wrong, all these things, you know, they, they really were ready to just go all out to get right again, to set everything right. That's the, the nature of someone who genuinely repents. It's not, oh, well, I repented of my sin, but I'm not really to do anything about it. It's, no, I repent of my sin, and I am going to root it out. I am going to extirpate it, get rid of it entirely. People who genuinely repent uh, don't have to be... Uh, cajoled and browbeaten to do what's right. I remember a preacher who said, I think we preachers waste a lot of our time and breath trying to preach goats into acting like sheep, trying to persuade people who haven't truly repented to act as though they had. But when people genuinely repent, look what that, look what that does. They got very diligent about doing the right thing. They got very careful about getting clear of any of that wrongdoing. They were very indignant that they had been misled by false teachers. They, were, they had the fear of God in a big way. My goodness, we've got to get away from that wrongdoing. We've got to get away from that defilement. Vehement desire uh, to do to, to what's right. Zeal towards, towards Paul and towards God. What vindication. We are going to do justice all the way. We're going to do the right thing and we're going to vindicate. That is, uh, to, to put in a just position and we're going to make sure that everything we do is exactly what God wants. We're going to be very careful about that. So they're very careful to do what's right. Therefore, although I wrote to you, I did not do it for the sake of him who had done wrong or for the sake of him who suffered wrong, but that our care for you might, uh, 
but our care for you in the sight of God might appear to you. Therefore, have you been comforted in your comfort, and we rejoiced exceedingly more for the joy of Titus, because his spirit has been refreshed by you, by you all. And I think of that verse in 3 John, uh, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. I think this is true for any uh, Christian, godly, earthly father. Just it, There just can't be anything any happier than to know that your earthly children are following the Lord and living for him, and, and uh, that's just the happiest thing you can possibly think of. And, uh, but then also, and I think John was probably writing with regard to his spiritual children, those for whom God has given you at least some degree of, of responsibility. I think of the elders in a church. Uh, I'm sure that they feel this way too, that uh, they feel uh, that just the happiest thing that they could well conceive of would be uh, that people are serving the Lord and loving the Lord. For if in anything I have boasted to him, Titus, about you, I am not ashamed, but as we spoke all things to you in truth, even so our boasting to Titus was found true. And his affections are greater for you as he remembers the obedience of you all, of you all how, the, how with fear and trembling you received him. So again, to reemphasize, I've been saying this several times already, when Christians are obeying God, it's a blessing to everyone who comes in contact with them. And uh, more, I think, than we are prone to, to be aware. We're, I don't think that we are aware just how much it just blesses people when we're living all out for the Lord, but it is. Therefore, I rejoice that I have confidence in you in everything. Here, Paul states that he's encouraged by their good conduct. So even the apostle Paul could be. Unless we think, oh, well, you know, the, the elders of the church aren't that interested in how I'm living my life. It's not going to affect them all that much. Yes, it will. When we are faithful, when we do what's right, it's encouraging to everyone else around you. And certainly I know that regarding just others, other uh, Christians. It is just an encouragement to see other Christians serving the Lord and loving the Lord. And Sometimes we don't all have exactly the same understanding of, of what, what it means to do. But when you know that they're doing everything they know to do to try to please the Lord, and they, if they found anything else, found out anything else to do to please the Lord, they do that too. Uh, that is an encouragement to all of us. Okay. Oh, not time for that quite yet. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Our Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for your Holy Spirit working in us. And we pray that we, we pray that you would help us to uh, perfect holiness in the fear of you. We pray now for the service to follow. We pray that you'd strengthen your servant, servant as he brings your word to us and uh, that you would uh, work in our hearts uh, to accomplish what you want to accomplish in us this day.